All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. Today's guest is Amy Williams, production designer on We Crashed. So excited to have you because I can't even, let me just jump in. You know, you've worked with so many spaces on this show. Where did you, I mean, obviously everyone starts with the script, but like you literally had to think about all these different environments and WeWork itself is like in some ways specific to Brooklyn or specific to Mexico city or specific to, yeah. uh, you know, all these various parts, like you had so many locations, where did you begin to even tackle this concept? Um, you know, it's, first of all, thanks so much for having me, Nancy. This is really nice. Um, this is fun to talk about the sets. It's, you know, this was, the you know the main headquarters set was the like the biggest interior beast I've ever built. It you know it's the story was you know larger than life and and so were the sets um, and they had to be to kind of support the story and because this is based on real life and you know um, a recent history we've all shared um, and you know some of us have even you know worked out of production offices and we works and you know i i remember being um at the green desk you know working on an indie film and you know it was the first time you saw that kind of space and that configuration of office being like a hip area so i have you know i have memories of the like i think it was like 2009 or 2008 of being in brooklyn and being in one of those spaces and then you know, years later, going and having an interview at the first WeWork that was in Soho. Um, so I had my own personal memories to kind of pull from uh, with some of this. And luckily, you know, everything is well documented in the last, you know, decade. So, you know, we just, I dove into the research and just picked and pulled like the best of all the WeWorks around the globe. Um, you know, Miguel McLeavy, he had, you know, he was the architect of these spaces and they had a very specific color palette. You know, he came from um, designing American apparel spaces. And so you kind of see that evolve in the WeWork spaces. And it was all about, you know, constant color and, you know, trendy pieces of furniture and, you know, just trying their best to make people feel cool. Um, and, you know, it was almost like being in a, you know, lobby of a hotel, like a hip hotel yeah. bar or something, you know, it really um, was, it was like the lobby of uh, the standard. Do you remember? Did you ever go in the standard? Yeah. And it was like, why do you have a swing in your lobby? And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I really like, I really got into the idea of their, you know, the headquarters had um, a couple levels and like hang areas and stuff. So I really wanted to do that. And it was in the script that Adam Newman had a bit of a like fishbowl office that could sort of see everything. And it was you know, larger than any of the other spaces, whereas everyone, you know, everyone else was kind of packed tight, you know, on a bar stool somewhere working. Um, so I knew that I wanted to create kind of this big, you know, like three leveled focus area that would just look right up to his office so anytime this like larger than life character you know addressed the the people of WeWork or his team you know he was always above them he was always like at the highest point um 
and, you know, in that sort of like godlike preacher mm-hmm. position. And, you know, from the whole space, you can pretty much see you have views to that area. And well, can I ask um, you a little bit of a nerdy question there. Like, sure. that was one thing that kept sticking out to me, especially in post production. So many windows, like in a VFX world, like how much of that was practical and how many either green screens or blue screens, did you have to work around that because, you know, day to night and filming constrictions based on the sunshine? Like, how did that work? Well, we had, um, we built the set. It was, it was three stories um, at Astoria Kaufman Studios. Um, and the, the stage was very long, but narrow. So and it took up about a city block. It was about 300 feet long. Wow. <laughs> so we utilized the whole space. And we were able to create a backdrop, um, a custom backdrop that had the feel of, you know, um, lower Manhattan, which is where the headquarters were. The original headquarters were on 6th Avenue and 18th Street. Um, so we wanted to create that. Bus- were these LED screens or were they... When you say backdrop, was it, what was that? Was it a green screen or was it LED or what was that? No, it, it was a vinyl backdrop that was um, front and front and backlit. Um, they had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Astera tubes um, lining the back of it and lights on the opposite side. So, you know, everything was on a board. So, uh, you know, they could program, you know, the day, night, the, you know, the night look, the day look, um, you know, I, I was often <laughs> on set and sometimes, you know, they would have light streaming in and I would pull the DPs aside and say like, Hey guys, let's just remember, like we're filming, this is supposed to be New York city and sunlight is rare. So, you know, let's make sure we mix it up because we want people to think this is real. And if it's always sunny, you know, it's, you know, it's not as believable as like kind of, you know, overcast and dreary, which oftentimes, you know, you get in Manhattan. So, you know, we worked together and, and, you know, made that happen. And I think that's why people respond to it with, you know, I think they sense that it's a build, but also like, you know, whoa, what are we seeing outside the windows? And well, I don't know, because one of my, one of my favorite scenes was um, when he's having the interview and he, you know, connects with the chase banker that first time and it's snowing outside it's at night you see the we work sign in the back and it's snowing and yeah. I'm like, how did they do that like i mean that was that not one, practical right so that was a green screen you know we were filming in the middle of the summer um so definitely there wasn't any snow and uh the the building that we filled the film the chase headquarters actually did have a view of the empire state building it was kind of on a corner um but we did have to green screen one of the windows to make sure that we had the right like we work logo that fit with the script and you know adding in the snow elements um so yeah there certainly was you know a lot of naturalistic vfx elements that really helped So to kind of pivot for a second, the two most striking challenges to me, at least, and I have no proximity to what you do. So it's, you know, forgive me if these are a little pedestrian questions, but like the two biggest challenges that I looked at watching this show was actually the theater and like almost negative space creating that, but then also summer camp. 
Like, tell me about mm-hmm. those two very polar opposites. So, uh, summer camp was the first episode we filmed. Oh, um, and that that was the big beast. That was another big beast. We we filmed that out in New Jersey. We found a Salvation Army kind of summer retreat camp. Um, and we needed certain elements like a helicopter coming in off the water and, you know, big open spaces where we could put a ton of tents and these big domes. And we knew we had, you know, a music performance. So it was bringing in, you know, just a ton of elements and signage and branding and, you know, uh, practical elements to kind of a slightly distant location, um, but it was really fun. It was great to, you know, we came up with having, you know, domes in the background and bringing in all the colors of the WeWork. And, you know, I pulled a lot from people's like Instagram. I just started looking up the hashtag, you know, summer camp and you could go back and look at, you know, all these drunk people posting up on their Instagrams and, you know, like having a party and that, that theme kind of, we kept it going throughout because there's, there's something kind of childlike in this story. You know, the, the WeWork spaces are almost like playgrounds for adults. And that's what the summer camps were too. You know, they were, you know, they were playgrounds for adults, for adults to be like silly and crazy. And is that, you know, professional, is that a business setting? But that's what this company created and that was the environment so we just you know we leaned in hard on it Mm -hmm. um and the theater space was interesting that was a hard location to find uh because we needed to show so many transformations and different floors all within um you know a cohesive space so luckily in brooklyn we found this sort of triangular building um, and it had uh, it had a few empty floors. So when you first see the space that they take over, it's it's raw. There's a hole in the floor. You know, it's totally decrepit. So we just added a ton of scenic work and garbage, and you know, boarded up windows, um, added like a ton of wires, and you know, just made it deep and dark. Um, and then we were able to take over another floor and kind of bring it up to that, that we work aesthetic of polished concrete floors and, you know, bright, colorful furniture and, you know, shiny windows. And, it, you know, the thing about the WeWork aesthetic is that they, you know, they did it on the cheap in a way, um, you know, they would just gut buildings and they would keep, you know, all of the the plumbing exposed and all of these elements and they, they turned that into a, an aesthetic um, that, you know, people thought was cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was fun. We, we created the sort of sex dungeon that I guess was a real story. I was going to ask about discovered. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then they repurposed the chair as like, Oh, this is, you know, a cool like Instagram moment. Um so it was fun and but you know it was also tricky and complicated as far as like a production schedule is concerned because you you're jumping between floors and looks and time periods and you have to see that building up you know getting wallpaper and walls being knocked down all of those elements um and i had such a hard-working talented team that you know they pulled it off well speaking of which having to jump 
time, you know, time periods and themes. That was another thing that struck me because you see Adam before he's anything and he has this very open apartment and he's like begging his neighbor to come have a drink. And then same thing with Rebecca, you see her apartment and it's, you know, younger girly kind of situation um, juxtaposed with, you know, a, a richer family and, you know, touching back with the scenes with her, her brother, or early boyfriend. So it's, and then this, you know, Gramercy Park apartment. So, you know, Miguel was very, you know, clear with the WeWork aesthetic, but then when we go into their homes, what kind of research did you have access to or, you know, what, what got you to the place of getting them through their earlier years and then their combined, like the Gramercy Park interiors for their own lives? Well, we, um, you know, there was, there was a certain amount of research. There, there were real estate listings that we could look back on as far as, um, you know, homes that they had purchased or lived in. Um, and we had, you know, we knew the history of Rebecca that she had lived in the West Village, um, but we didn't have access to what that looked like, um, you know. So you have to pull, pull from the the character's psyche and from their history and their past to kind of piece together what their color palette might be or their interest or you know is for Rebecca, you know, we leaned into you know her spiritual side. Um, and her, you know, uh, as we call it, like yoga babble, um, you know, and you also, you, you know, we were, it was really funny because I, I worked with Anne Hathaway to pick the sofa because we both wanted to be really specific about the sofa and her ideas um, for that were that, you know, it's probably a really expensive sofa that she got from her parents' house, you know, because at the the time period when you see Rebecca, she had just gone to India. She didn't have any money of her own. She wasn't working, but she also came from a richer family. So what does that kind of interior space look like? It's, you know, it's a rich girl, you know, kind of slumming it or, so, you know, so, um, but it still had to, you know, feel nice. And, and, you know, we, we also sort of really wanted to carry these characters safely um, and not make fun of them too much, uh, you know, and try to support the good things and their love story um, and the things that are very, you know, admirable and respectable. Sometimes they're ridiculous and silly, but, you know, we wanted to include all of that. So, you know, like her headboard in her bedroom is actually like a, a mandala and, you know, sort of reflects like her time traveling um, and, you know, with Adam, we weren't sure. We just knew that he, you know, shared an apartment with his sister. And so we kind of made it as like basic bro as we possibly could without money and, uh, you know, found a great space for that. And then um, with their Gramercy apartment, I we took some more liberties uh, with that look because we did know what their Gramercy apartment looked like. Um, we knew how it was decorated but it wasn't necessarily as cinematic as we wanted or, you know, the space didn't define um, who they were as people and characters as much. It was a little bit less personal. So, um, you know, I really wanted the contrast of the bright, colorful, playful WeWork and 
in their home life, it was more of a like safe, warm, soft space that maybe was driven more by Rebecca's interest rather than Adam's. And, you know, really kind of this like warm cocoon love nest where they could raise a family. And, you know, but with that, they also didn't have the best taste. So some of the choices are a little like gauche and they're a little bit tacky and they're, you know, they're a little bit you know, over the top and over design, you know, the like dramatic, you know, underlit staircase and, you know, like the super tall ceilings and stuff. Um, So, you know, I kind of pulled some like inspiration from other like celebrity over the top houses. And, uh, and I just wanted to give it soft round edges to sort Mm -hmm. of represent um, their love. Mm -hmm. Really. Well, uh, forgive me here if I ask yet another super nerdy question. Uh, and love nerdy questions. Love nerdy questions too. Um, but there was uh, in the summer camp episode when Anne Hathaway, Rebecca is talking to the reporter that they then go on to hire. Um, there's mm-hmm. a knife in the table. <laughs> like, yeah. Is that like a Terminator reference or what was that? No, I think that was one of our director. Like we had some props, and it was at a point in the WeWork, uh, it, in the summer camp set where we just trashed it all, and we <laughs> shot the whole thing in chronological order. So you know, you started with the like really fun, clean summer camp, but by the end of it, you know, it's it's kind of like the true life story. By the end of it, it's just a disaster, and people are throwing up and tents are turned over and that's how it really was beer cans everywhere and trash and you know it's sort of like they probably the day before had like a big rally about you know um saving the earth and you know and then you just you see all these contradictions constantly and i think you know that's what part of that was was just like oh you know screw it we're just gonna like throw this knife in the table and kind of show like exaggerate the debauchery Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you then too. Are there any Easter eggs that, I mean, this is clearly a show that's going to get watched again and again and can binge it. But like, that was my favorite where I was like, is that like a no fate Terminator reference that there's a knife (laughs) table? Um, But for you, are there any kind of like little bits that you're like, oh, I want to throw that in, or I hope somebody sees that not to ruin it. Well, we, we leaned it, you know, we, the showrunners Lee and Drew um, really liked the the unicorn motif, uh-huh. um, and you know that like moniker that he was given. And so, if you watch, you can see, you know, fifty some unicorns just always buried in the background, or someone's wearing a unicorn costume. Or I even had my son draw a little unicorn drawing that we put into the school in one of the scenes and, you know, we just, we planted those, you know, ever so carefully here and there. Um, so that's, you know, I think that was, a, that's our main Easter egg, I love uh, but there were a lot. And I do think, you know, I think you're onto something with the knife because I know John and Glenn, our directors, um, always have an inside joke, uh, <laughs> when it comes to their films. So I think you're really onto something there. I just, it was so obvious. Like I rewatched that episode last night and it, it was just, it struck me. And I was like, no fate, but the one you make, 
you know, for yourself. And I was like, of course it would be in this moment when she has to handle it. And I was yeah. like, you know, and it's very Linda Hamilton of her and did it up. But I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, my last question would be about Miguel then, because in, you know, full disclosure have not gotten to see the finale yet, but mm-hmm. it struck me that we don't have as much texture for him. And like, we don't see his home and even like, I don't think we ever really get to see his office at WeWork. And then the office when he was still with um, the uh, American Outfitters. Yeah, in the, with the architecture firm. Yeah. So was that kind of conscious throughout the series that just like, we want to isolate Miguel and you don't have as much of him or? What? Well, I think, um, you know, the interesting thing is that the, you know, they cast Kyle and he's so, he looks so much like the real guy and, you know, and he, you know, he's like largely unknown, but he just really like narrowed, like nailed the character and he was so good. And I don't think anyone expected for the character to like come off the page so much um, with this actor who really took it on. So I think that, you know, they did try to provide more opportunities than they originally had planned to kind of showcase this character. Um, But you do, you do get to see into his office. Uh, But the funny thing was we had a lot of discussions about the placement of where everyone's offices would be in relation to Adam's office. And we decided Miguel would get the office on the furthest corner of Adam's (laughs) You know, just because he never uh, had that value that he should have had in the company. He was always kind of this afterthought. And and Adam took a lot of that shine away from everyone else because he was so larger than life. So we put him off to the corner and he his view is a, a brick wall. Whereas, you know, Adam looks out into the like big, beautiful courtyard and Rebecca has like the best view, you know, she sees like out onto the street, but poor Miguel, he's in the corner, he's looking at a brick wall and um, he's got his architecture tools, (laughs) you know, but we did have a scene um, that potentially took place in one of his apartments. And honestly, we, uh, you know, with with the way the script turned out and our scheduling, um, it made more sense to move that to a different set. Um, so, and you know what? You do actually get to see into his apartment, um, his later apartment. So you'll get it. You'll okay. get there in the last episode. Yes. But it's he's his place is well designed too. He's got he's got good taste. That's exciting. Um, well, with the last couple of minutes, I always like to offer, you know, if you have any questions for me, the show or what happens, you know, after you get to do all the production side of things, how we go chop it up and all of that in post, anything for me? Yeah, I'd love to do that. I think, you know, it's, it's fun because, you know, we we're kind of on opposite ends of the shooting schedule in our jobs and, you know, now with more VFX and production design, I'm getting to work with editors and post supervisors more and, you know, collaborating in that sense um, that I didn't get to do, you know, a few years ago. Uh, So, you know, and I think it also just, it benefits both of our crafts to kind of communicate and, you know, 
share ideas. And it's just so rewarding when someone in post reaches out and, you know, throws a compliment or, you know, has an idea based on, you know, something we threw into the set. So um, I think it, you know, it's a, it's an interesting relationship to collaborate on because we largely don't see each other. Yeah. But the line between post and between production and post is getting so much thinner and thinner because we, we also do pre-visualization here at DFT. So like we could have, you know, LIDAR the set or had scans if they had ever to, you know, and import them into the game engine. And we have stunt coordinators, costume designers, production designers, come into live sessions with us as we design in the game engine. And then all of that work that you have done can also go off to VFX or editorial can start cutting with some of that. And mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been really, really incredible to kind of just have that much more front end collaboration across departments. So that is, yeah, it just makes, it makes our work so much better. Uh, and it's, you know, and also you've got, you know, during that process, you know, it used, it used to be, you know, the prep, the shoot, the post, you know, but now you have editors, you know, just on set cutting the the scene you just shot, you know, and, you know, coming up, you know, working with the VFX supervisor to make sure that we're providing, you know, the right surfaces and areas and spaces and measurements to, you know, take care of some of these complicated, you know, VFX moments. Yeah. Well, Amy, this was such a joy. This was so fun for me to get to dive into you, dive into with you. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us and talking about this. Oh, thank you. It's uh it's so much fun to see how people like perceive and and get like into the show. Um, you know, everyone works so hard on it and it's just I'm really glad that people are responding to it and you know, noticing some of the fun we had making it. So, thanks so much, Nancy. Thank you, Amy. All right. We'll see you next time, hopefully. All right. Can't wait to see it. Thank All you. Right. Bye, Amy. I'm a And I'm here with editors Justin Crone, ACE, and Deborah Beth Weinfeld. Thank you for joining me today. Our pleasure. Starting very basic here, because these released one at a time, did you guys have to deliver all at the same time? Or was it, you know, uh, a staggered delivery to Apple? And I ask because I'm wondering if you guys got to collaborate at all on all the different jump backs and forths. Um, I mean, there was, there was, there was collaboration, but not, not, it, it was more, our showrunners were very big on wanting to get everybody's input at different points. Um, we did not have to deliver staggered. We basically were able to finish. We locked all the episodes. Um, mostly the finale took a little bit longer just for end credits, which you'll see tonight. <laughs> um, or tomorrow. Um, but for the most part, everything was delivered before Christmas, which gave them enough time to, to get everything out the door. I mean, we were, we were turning stuff over all along, mm-hmm. but if anything need to be jumped back into, we could easily jump back into it before the final wrap. I mean, I think, I think it was for the editing, it was all delivered. I mean, we kind of locked, kind of lock an order, but I know for like the effects and all that stuff for mixing, it's kind of staggered. So the actual post schedule is more that way just because, you know, you've got to make so. And I, I think as, uh, you know, I think it was, it was released the first three and then one a week 
you know, so I think, I think there probably was some just in how that, but I think for editing, it was all kind of locked by the end of, end of last year, but I know they were doing VFX and other stuff up until February. Cause it was just, you know, it just takes a while to get everything done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was, it was more like, it, it kind of fell between like the HBO series that they have months and months and months to wrap all, to finish all the episodes and episodic where, you know, you're turning it over because it has to air in three weeks. Yeah. So we definitely had time to work on stuff without the pressure of, you know, there's an air date coming, like the air dates were at least a little bit pushed out for the start of the season. Yeah. So we work on, uh, Ted, <laughs> I just realized how often I've been saying we work in this and anyway, <laughs> but we work on Ted Lasso for, for Apple. And then we also work on like our flagman's death for HBO max. And so like, that's why I have to ask because it, it's in some cases, they're all delivered at the same time. Like Ted Lasso season one was like, they got to work on the whole season and by the time they reached the finale, they were like, okay, let's go back and change this in, in the opener. And so, um, but question, which is going to sound hilarious given Justin's uh, literal background there. Um, how, how exciting was the music for this show? Like how involved did you guys get to be? Does it just feel like a, a playground with like Apple, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I think a little bit. Yeah. I mean, are you talking about the needle drops? Are you talking about the score? Or like, what would you, what, what's like, because there's a couple different like elements to that. All of it. So, I mean, like everything, like I love composers. Like, I mean, again, below the line is my jam. So I love composers. Yeah. I love the needle drops. And I specifically do want to find out why I think which episode was it? in episode five, Deborah, why the needle drop with the theme song right after the photo shoot, like that moment. There's so many music questions that I have, but like it walk was, through it. It was in the end of episode five first. It's what we placed at the end of the episode. And then when they were trying to figure out the main title and they were trying to figure out, are they going to have it be score or what somebody suggested? What if we tried that song? Everybody likes from the end of five and my heart like it stopped. Cause I'm like, but are we losing it in five? No, 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 no. It would stay there. I'm like, okay, by all means, see if it works. <laughs> and, and it worked. It was great. But yeah, no, it was, it ended episode five from the first pass I did on that show. That was one of the first songs that the music supervisor sent me and it worked perfectly. It never left. They loved it, but they loved it so much that it became the main title. That's really cool. Thank you for that Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think with the music, there was like, you know, I did the first two and the seventh one. And I mean, at least for the needle drops, you know, I mean, obviously the Katy Perry thing was very written in and that's a historical thing because that, that's what they, that's what the, what Adam listened to. So that was kind of always known that was going to, was going to be in the show and it's going to play throughout. And they knew it was going to, going to kind of recur. I think it's in, I think it's in five. Is that right, Deborah? Mm -hmm. And then it, and then it also, it, it's in a couple different episodes. At, but then, I mean, the other kind of new drops, I know in two, like there was the, the, the song, This Is The Day, which is kind of one of the bigger new drops in episode two. And then in seven, it was the St. Vincent on New York, New York. I mean, there's other ones. I would, those are my kind of two favorite music. And I think with This Is The Day, it was, you know, we kind of went back and forth on that one. Um, you know, I kind of picked early on. I, I really love that song. I've always wanted to use it somewhere. Um, and one of the things we had back and forth was because there was a question of, well, 
watch this be. And my whole thing was, well, you know, especially early on in the show, we're telling the story from the point of view of the characters. And at that point, it's obviously one is like, you're really kind of telling mainly from Rebecca and Adam's point of view. But I was, it was a real question of like, for that, I was like, we need to feel the excitement of these employees who I think are very integral to like the story and to knowing that. And I think it's the thing where they are very excited about what's going on. I mean, I think it's the thing where a lot of people get involved in like these companies. That's part of like the con and the grip that happened. It's like they ended up working for free thinking they were investing in this thing. And I do think they really believed that and really truly thought this was a great thing. And so there were other songs pitched and I was just like, and some of them just started to feel a little bit too, it didn't, it, there was like a rap song, there was something else. And I was like, it like one song, I think I was kind of like, like had like a recurring thing of money. And I was like, I don't think that these people are honestly doing that. You know, I think like what's interesting about the story is that, you know, they really did believe in the, in Rebecca and Adam. No, I mean, it's very easy as in hindsight to say, God, they really got taken and taken advantage of, but I don't think those employees thought that. And so I was like, we really have to pick for something that it's their point of view and their excitement for being involved in the company. Like at a very early juncture before it's really become the WeWork that people knew. So I think with, you know, we were, you know, I think with the budget, you're kind of like able to like get stuff. I mean, I know episode three was always going to have like, which is Deborah's episode, which is the, the summer camp was always going to have a lot more needle drops just because that was going to be a very music heavy centric thing. But, you know, to, you know, one, we didn't have so many because it's like that Katy Berry song kind of dominates. And then it was just like, I, w- I was just like, Oh, we just got to, you know, pick some really, distinctive ones you know i know you know and i know in seven the new york new york was the suggestion of actual actually kyle marvin the actor who plays miguel he actually just wanted to play it on set to have like some emotion for what he was reacting to when like they're all the kind of stuff with like the s1 is coming out and uh and i heard it and i just talked to her i was like oh did you pick this she's like oh no kyle and i was like well this is a great fucking song i was like we should use this i was like it has the new york thing it has a kind of like really fit in thematically. I was like, this is great. And so, you know, the nice thing about Apple is like, you don't have to worry as much. I mean, as far as like clearing stuff, they're pretty, they're pretty open, you know, to doing, you know, to getting stuff and like, um, yeah, so it wasn't, it's, 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 you know, as long as you're not going wall to wall, I think it was kind of easy for us, you know, like, cause I, we could, I think they did more in three because that was always the plan, but I don't think you could have done it for most of the episodes. You yeah. Know? Well, you touched on a lot there that I kind of want to jump back to, especially between episodes one and three, um, because you guys did such a good job of contextualizing what each person was going through in relation to the shared moment. And I mean, I never felt, I mean, you did your job, like you nailed it. You know what I mean? Where it's like editing is not supposed to be visible, but like, even when it was it, you did your job, like it landed so well, like the moment of, you know, Miguel having to stay up all night building the deck, but then there's Adam asleep and then summer camp, like you had to jump across so many different times. (laughs) You you landed it so well. And I can't, I mean, how did you guys construct those timelines of like when to bring that in and um, when to use a split screen or when to consciously go back in time to contextualize what was being drawn out of a person? Like, let me shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, So we shot, uh, the show was shot out of order as always happens. Um, And three was actually shot first. 
for uh, location reasons, for actor reasons, for all different reasons. Um, so three was a was an odd egg, which is an odd egg anyway in the structure of the show, but it also became an odd egg because it was the first one up. Um, so there was a lot of concern as they started seeing things. They were shooting one and two as they got the cut for three. And, and the immediate reaction was, oh, we might need more time with this. And I was thinking, hmm, having not seen any of Justin's dailies yet, um, that's weird. It seemed to play really well to me. Okay, I'll just, you know, get some notes and see what happens. Once they finished shooting one and two and they went back and had time to watch three, they were like, never mind, we were crazy. It, 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 it was supposed to be different. We just couldn't see it in the when they were in the craze of shooting the first two episodes. Um but as far as the structure, for the most part, that's how they wrote it. Like it was just so well written that there was, I mean, there's one scene in three that we completely restructured within itself. But other than that, we followed along with how they felt like, when should we go back? Cause it was all very like when she arrives at the, at the cabin and that wraparound happens Mm-hmm. Um, and we see her brother for a moment, like at her as a young girl, like we can't, we couldn't have moved that. Like it had to be where they placed it. And, and most of the stuff was like exactly where it was intended to be on, on the page. Um, what we got to do, what I got to do was, was play around with how much do we really tell? How little do we really tell? And do we sprinkle in any other bits along the way. And that was something that the directors and the producers both felt. They're like, is there anywhere else we can land something? And and we tried everything we could and we ended up with just those little flashes. Mm. Um, But for the most part, I mean, I've said this since the beginning, like the the scripts told a great story um, and, and they did it well and they made it easy to put it together. Yeah, I mean, I a little think, different for one and two. Which yeah, <laughs> I think for one and two. I mean, I think part of the, I mean, and part of the challenge with all these shows, like, especially with a, a new show, you know, that you don't have any contextualization for, is you got to figure out what the tone is, you know. And so, starting the first two, it's like, you know, that's kind of the big thing. And those are really going to set, those always set the tone of what the series, or at least where you start, you know, and then you can always veer off. But it's always kind of crazy because the idea is, I think, you know, you kind of Deborah, you know, ran into that because it's like, oh, we thought it was this, but then it was this, you know, which happens a lot where everyone thinks they're making one thing, but then it turns out, okay, well, here's what the footage really is. And here's, oh, here's the story we're making. I mean, it's kind of a constant process. I mean, one thing that was very particular, there were a couple of things that happened like that, just to give an example. I mean, I think one was definitely the point of view and just like making sure this is very much from the Rebecca and, and Adam's point of view. When I say that, I mean, we're not going to like do anything that we're going to be careful not to make cuts or to have it cut in a way that's going to be judgmental on the characters. I think if if somebody's going to judge, that can be the audience. But we as filmmakers weren't going to do that as storytellers. You know, we're really telling it from their point of view. And it's up to the audience to decide. I think another thing, too, that happened was they thought the score was going to be they I, I know the the you know, driver like succession thing. Oh, maybe we'll kind of do something similar to that. But as we got in and we're just kind of temping and trying to figure out how we're going to like tone it, it became, I mean, I kind of, I kind of just started throwing some things across. I was like, I think we need kind of a lighter, more propulsive, lighter score that kind of sells the excitement of these people. I also just think like, I was like, oh, it's just like, this is a much different story. And, you know, because we kind of get, you know, a lot of the things of WeWork were kind of very ridiculous. It's like, if you went too heavy, it would like definitely like, it was only figuring out what that tone was. And even that was the tone of, because it is, 
there is, it is, I would say, a dramedy, but it was a kind of, like, how much comedy are we going to play? Are we going to play? And it became like, we shouldn't be playing into jokes, you know, like too much because like you can, a lot of what happens is kind of like that cringe comedy thing where it's like, they, what the characters say is just funny enough. You don't have to like have it play broad or have it play big to be funny. It's just like, they kind of say things themselves. And so it was like, cause there was a question of, do we want to make the show more funny? And it became very clear that like the performance are so good and everything was so good. We don't need to like push that element of it. And like, yeah, so it was because I do remember with like the first one, both the directors, uh, you know, John and Glenn and even Lee and Drew were like, oh, we thought the show was going to play more kind of funny in general. And then we we're like, realized like, oh, there's a lot of like pathos, a lot of other things here to mind, you know, that came out, you know, so there was like a big like process to figure out all that stuff out you know, early you on. You guys protected them all so well. Like I never felt like there was a moment where you were making fun of them where it was, I mean, and such a great tagline that I don't know landed until I got into the episodes of like a $47 billion love story. And I was like, yeah, what? But then watching <laughs> like, oh my God, yeah. they were so insanely like into each other. And this is how it, how it came together. But, and I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, but going, it, touching on 101 for a second, like that moment when they're sitting on the couch and Miguel is like, yeah, we, and then they all, <laughs> what was that choice to cut it off before they finished saying we work? Well, it's interesting. Cause one, I think a lot of like the stuff in one, we probably did a little bit more reordering just because number one, two, it was like that, that episode, I think was an 80 something like mid eighties first cut. There's just, you know, there's a lot of material. And so it was trying to find stuff. And that kind of whole section at the end where they're kind of selling, there, there was some intercutting done with that, but it wasn't probably as much. And so it was like, well, how do we juggle this and juggle like the excitement of that and, and kind of coming out of like where they've kind of like seemed like they've pulled off this first big kind of deal. Then you kind of have the music and it's kind of like building and it's like, and I think part of that was written, but the way that John and Glenn would shoot, and especially on the first three, I think it kind of sort of, it, there's a lot of improv going on with the actors in the first, I would say the first three, maybe in the fourth one, because I think a lot of it was, I mean, the, we have two, just two incredible actors and Jarrett likes to try a lot of things. And he was doing a lot of things to find the character, which was kind of really great and amazing to play with. So there's a lot of like the way they kind of shot that, that week, the, like the, we, we worked in, it's almost those kind of like improv like documentary ish style in some ways, because they, John and Glenn don't really, wouldn't really plan out like blocking for like scenes, like for, for, for things at times. I mean, they would for certain stuff, but something like that, where they want something like kind of more improvisory feel, so it feels like, like real life, they would let them kind of go and like just go stuff and just let the camera kind of almost like a documentary. So it was kind of calling through that footage because it's like, it's a very short thing, but I'm sure I had like probably upwards of an hour of footage just for like that small part, you know? And they did it like probably well over 10. I'm sure it was like closer to 15. You know, and it's like, you know, so you're kind of just going through, I mean, okay, we're going to get the best moments. I remember cutting as a separate thing before I put it into that montage and just sort of like the cutting off became like, I think, well, we got to get back into like the flash, like the flash forward to like 2019. And it was like, what's the most interesting way? And I just think like, if you just finish that scene as a scene and let it kind of resolve, it didn't, you didn't leave it in the energy. And I think the part of coming into the flash like, cause you know, we start out in 2018 and flash back 10 years, like it's 10, yeah. 13 years, whatever it is, but coming into the room where he's about to get fired, it's like, I was like, I think you want to walk in with like this hard cutoff 
and a lot of energy because like that whole thing when they make a sale, you feel like really excited. And then you're walking into this thing, you know that like, fuck, he's about to, some shit's about to go down <laughs> in that room. Yeah. So I just thought it was like a lot of like, you left with this certain energy and you kind of leave the audience like, just a Kimbo, like, wait, what's happening? And knowing like, oh shit, we're back here. We live. We dream. We dream. We dream. We want Adam, Bruce. So I think it just kind of as a viewer, and for me, I just was like, oh, I love when you can do things like that, where you like just throw the audience off balance for a second, especially when you're getting into moments that are very dramatically like tense, you know, because it just kind of unsettles people and like can really add so much energy. And it's great because like everything's super loud and then it's very quiet in that room because it's in like a high rise and like it's you don't need things because it's like just the air being sucked out of the room. It's just so kind of like, oh, fuck. Like that's so un unsettling. You don't need music, you don't need anything. So I mean, that's kind of a perfect lead-in because Deborah Beth, like that is honestly my question to you with the summer camp episode. You're dealing with literal chaos in the summer camp and literally people yelling at Rebecca at one point, but then this very quiet, tempered vacuum that she's dealing with and the letter for her father and the memories that the house brings up. I, again, you <laughs> nailed it, but I don't, how, how did you even begin to structure those transitions? And, and. It, you know, it, it's funny. Like we, we talk about how, like trying to find the tone of the show, the, the great thing about having to be the first episode, but be episode three and have it be a standalone was I could just let it do what it wanted to do. Um, I get asked a lot in interviews, like, what's your process? And my process is always the same, which is I watch the footage. I don't look at the pages. I don't look at the script anymore. I watch the footage to see what the director directed the actors do and what the actors are doing. And that, for me, all those moments came because Annie, that's how she performed them. And you can tell with her performances when she would find something and be like, wait, no, that's what I wanted to do. And she'll read, she'll ask to redo the take sometimes because she wants to go that new direction. So a lot of that was really what she was giving me. You even took my words, elevating the world's consciousness. Who came up with that? You, you couldn't have built shit without me. For the most part. I mean, I would say like that, that was a lot of fun that it was an Annie like full of Annie episode. Like it was all her with a little bit of Jared thrown in. Um, okay. Well, just real quick before I move on from that summer camp bit, uh, can you tell me, was the knife in the table a Terminator reference? <laughs> like when she's talking to the reporter, there was a knife literally in the patio table. You, I mean, I could I not tell you. I could not tell you what that was in reference to. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody in production design or somewhere who well, I asked her and she was like, what she said, she was like, you're probably onto something because John and Glenn love their movie references. Yes. And yes. I was like, this is so clearly Terminator and Linda Hamilton with no fate. I was like, what is this? And it's like, you know, the quote is no fate, but the one that you make and it's Linda mm -hmm. Hamilton carving into it. And I was like, here's Annie Hathaway or here's Rebecca, Rebecca. <laughs> making her fate. And I was like, oh, I can't with this. It was so great. But if, if I talk <laughs> to John and Glenn, I will ask them and I will I will shoot you an email and let you know. Well, are there Easter eggs or little bits that you guys like 
you know, fought for, got in there, or just loved that we can look for as we're, you know, binging this again? <laughs> um, um, I mean, I, 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 God, I kind of feel like, I mean, trying to think, I mean, like I said, I think the, the, this is the day one was a really fun thing. I think, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I think with the first two, and I, I think, and I think if there were, I know in the finale, they were really long. I think it was more just like, we have to get this down. It was more like, what do we take out? And it was more like slimming things down. I don't think we didn't wholesale lose. Like, I mean, there were a few like scenes we lost, but it was like, kind of just bringing things down. You know, it's funny. It's like, it wasn't, it definitely felt like when we got to what the episodes were, every, all the right stuff was there. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like I try to always forget those fights because like, I don't feel like they're fights. It's just kind of like, you just kind of like, Oh, it's just part of the process. So I, yeah, I feel like I'm never good at knowing like <laughs> what hit or what, what I kind of went for or didn't, you know? Well, like for example, Amy said, uh, for her little Easter egg thing to look at, she was like, we hit a lot of unicorns on set. So like there's drawings of unicorns or someone maybe wearing a unicorn pin or like little figures and stuff. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to go back and draw that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like one of the fun things, I mean, I, I, the one thing like music wise that was kind of maybe a fun history from seven was we did a big split screen section to the Pet Shop Boys song Opportunities. And um, I had actually, what I tend to do is I tend to listen to a lot of like this music and like whether it be score or just like songs, like I just kind of start pulling stuff months. If I know I'm on stuff like a month or two before. And I remember sending it to my assistant who I've worked with forever. And I was like, I really like this song. He said it in like February of like 2021. I was like, maybe we can throw this in somewhere into the show. <laughs> hadn't read the script for seven yet at all. And I was just like, somewhere I'm going to get this in maybe. I think this could work well possibly. Um, and it was like, oh, here, because it, it was written to be an Ennio Morricone um, uh, piece of music and I couldn't license it because I think it was just the clearance was just too, it just was going to take too long. But also we had tried it and it was like, it just didn't work. It felt like there needed to feel something light and kind of fun about like that sequence. That was the thing. It's like, I think there was with moving things so fast, like, and we're moving so much time, you have to kind of be pushing things forward and there are times to kind of slow down, but there was so much some of the show has to have a, such a forward propulsion, you know? And so with picking music and like scoring stuff, it's like, it needs to feel like you're racing to this conclusion that we all kind of know. Cause if you know the story, even a little bit, you kind of know what happened. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, there are moments we need to choose when to slow down, but we had to be careful never to like, feel like we're stopping the story too much, right. you know? Yeah. Cause it would definitely just kind of, you'd feel like, Oh God. I mean, but there were, I mean, I think every episode has those moments. Like is at the end of one, where it's just like the firing, it's like, you want to stop there, you know? And it's like, you want to like have like, but it's like, for most of it, it was really like, how do we keep things moving over this like 13 year period, you know? I mean, and forgive me for, for jumping ahead a little bit here in the post process, but like, it is a very, you know, clear and memorable aesthetic that comes with WeWork. So did, were either or both of you involved with, uh, you know, color and, re-recording and like all of that because even the sounds that are created in a we work and like in this show it just it was a little like you know everyone at some point probably worked in a we work and as an introvert I was like this is too much I hate I cannot do this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I had never, I lived in New York for a while from 2000 to 2009 and I go back and I never, we were kind of, it started like right when I left. So I didn't, that, that, that space, those spaces weren't there. But I had a lot of friends who worked there and I actually have a lot of friends who called me now and like, oh, I'm working on we work right now. Like, oh my God, this is like, I'm watching the show. Yes, they have the kombucha on tap, you know, it's like all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, for color, I, you know, I, I, we've been, I, I'm usually not in on color sessions myself occasionally for shows. I mean, I think I would, you know, but it's more, you know, I, I usually try to, you know, that's kind of the domain of the cinematographer. I kind of don't want to like, you know, that's really what they, you know, they're there. If I have things that we were doing, I kind of send along with the director showrunner to be like, oh, just, hey, here's, want to make sure to this or this, if there's some certain effect. But for sound, I mean, I I know it's kind of, it's kind of haven't happened like the TV in the world. I mean, I tend to be on the shows where I always go to the mix and always have, I tend to do a lot of like sound design and robot. We did a ton. I mean, we, you know, would do stuff where we had up to, I mean, up to like 40 tracks of audio in like the offline, you know, like, and that we're talking like half of those are stereo paired. So it's pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, I think one time we had a, somebody from our, from the, cause we were like trying to get our system to run faster. And we had somebody from like MBC Universal come over and I'm like, these like sequence, they're looking crazy. Like we're like doing a fast and furious movie and they don't even have these many tracks in like their edit. But like Sam Esmail is a kind of a person who like really wants to hear and even when he's just doing the initial edits, wants to feel it. And I've always kind of felt the same and always like to do a bit of stuff. I mean, it was nice with this of like, there isn't, you know, there were, it's a very, there's a kind of, even when we worked as natural thing and we had an amazing sound, sound team and amazing mixers. So it was like, we're very blessed and they would actually the same mixers as like from, uh, from, from Mr. Robot. So it was like, Oh, I get to see you guys again. We have the same music interviews, Mr. Robot. So it was kind of cool. Cause like I, you know, especially for the first two, we talked a lot about when I get the sound of New York, you know, and like that should also be like a part of the soundtrack. Cause New York is a very loud town. If you live there, it's just like your constant white noise, like there, you know, even, even like in, in the, like in an office, it's always kind of that solved in. So there was a thing we talked early on of like, let's make sure we're kind of always feeling the city. And then obviously when the office is, we want to make sure all those kind of things feel right. You know? So yeah, there was, I think we did, we all kind of had a big, big like impact on that. I know Deborah did a lot of stuff with the crowds for 103 and there was a lot of stuff going on for that, which is like, you know, obviously they're out, out of the city. And so it's a much different thing. So well, I was, I was going to ask you about that Deborah, because even, um, even with the flashbacks into the courthouse, it mm -hmm. just, Th that felt like so much sound work and uh that's part of why I asked about color too because obviously so different between summer camp into the courthouse into uh the the summer inside the summer house itself like yeah I mean there was always the flashbacks were always meant to feel different obviously um we played around with stuff in editorial in the end we left it. I think I did a slight contrast in editorial and they're like, let's just leave it. We'll play with it in color. And so they, the cinematographer and the producers took that over of what they wanted it to look like in the end. Um, but it was shot differently. I mean, his, his LUT was slight, you know, he, he gave it a different feel right from the get-go. The unsuspecting victims defrauded of over a million dollars by your company, the American Cancer Research Fund. The, the conscious choice in those was, yes, we're still in New York. Yes, we're in a New York courthouse, but I don't want to feel the hustle and bustle in this moment because we're inside her head. We're not in New York right now. We're in young Rebecca's head. And so that was definitely a conscious choice to not 
mm-hmm. you know, because normally in New York, like Justin was saying, wherever you are, you're here in New York. It doesn't matter how deep in a building you are, you are hearing the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that case, it was, okay, I know the city's right outside. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. when we go outside, that's fine. When we're in the building, I just want to be in her head because that was a lot of it. I mean, that whole sequence was really just, even though we're with the dad and with the judge, it's really what's happening, you know, to young Rebecca at that point. Was there anything for either of you that kind of um, started one way and as you were playing with it or working with the directors that evolved and shift and became kind of a different moment? Like you even said, Jared likes to try a lot of different things. Um, Was there anything that started one way on the page and then together you saw it transition into something else? I think it was, I think it was just finding I, the biggest transition I think was early on was just finding like how real we were going to play the character, play the characters and pulling over the county. I mean, one scene in particular was the first time when Miguel and Adam meet out, like after the, he does that Baruch college presentation at Baruch college. And then in the scene after it's like Adam and Miguel meet in a thing. And it's kind of very funny, but it, there was, we cut it like several different versions of that. And that was when we were trying to figure out how comedic are we going to play this? Cause they did so much improv. It was like, you, you could have played that much more funny. I mean, it is kind of a funny thing, but there were, you could have the way they played it. Cause they have so many options. You could have played that much more comedic and like got getting into a kind of Broadway, but like broad, like kind of comedy sense. But we realized like, that's what we don't want to be doing. So that was kind of the biggest thing. That was one of those scenes that were like, okay, cool. This is, we know now what the tone is like moving forward of what the show is. So it was a big, like pulling back of like, just let's not like, let's not over like go over with like any of the improvs or anything that like makes it feel like we're making jokes, you know? So. Well, especially, you know, touching on Miguel, like that felt so wonderfully intentional, but not overbearing that like you bring up a good point. Like he was the one that introduced himself to Adam, but then became just this background character in, in this huge story that he was, a massive part of, but like, you know, um, I, I heard that we are finally going to see Miguel's apartment in, in episode eight, but like all these things where I was just like, I want to know more about him, but that was the point. Or you tell me, because like, it just always felt like he wasn't interjecting himself or we didn't get enough of him, but even, even when he is there and, oh, well, they sent me instead of Adam to talk to Rebecca about, you know, having to talk to her and he's literally not even at the table. It was, it was such an interesting, well done choice to, to isolate him in that way. And I, and I definitely think that was a huge part of what, how they put it together, which is, you know, to keep him not in the forefront because he could, he's, I mean, he should have been in the forefront. He should have been the main partner in it. Um, So by treating him that way, I think it was definitely and intentional and it, it, there was like that's how they shot it it wasn't like we had to cut around him or put you know make sure he wasn't visible it's just how they placed him um, yeah i mean i think it's a couple of things i mean number one kyle marvin the actor who plays it is just fucking incredible it's part of my language i think he's amazing and he you know has 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 you know has been kind of more had been directing doing other things and i would kind of i'd seen him in like one movie before one of the dailies i was like i wonder what it's gonna be like having not seen him in a ton of stuff and I was like god this guy's amazing and I think he's just kind of perfect and plays it really great because a little bit of you read it, it's like that's kind of what the character was and I knew some people would actually work with a new kind of Miguel like and they were like yeah he was kind of that kind of 
almost in a way, and I think obviously they're kind of hiding it from dramatic purposes, at least I believe so as much as we can tell, but he is kind of a doormat character in a sense that he's very much taken advantage and very much like, like Jared's Adam is very much a force of nature, you know, and very much uses people. And I think like it's Miguel's good nature that kind of really gets taken advantage of and really kind of gets used as was, I think most of the employees who work for them, you know, and they all got taken advantage. I think you really see that in the Miguel character, other people like, well, I really believe in this guy. And so I think it was a thing of like, I think you, you'll definitely see it. I think I believe in the finale and like, and I think you start to see the cracks of it at the end of episode seven, when they realize with like the S1 that it's like, fuck, this person isn't that I've invested all this time and energy to and really believe that when you reach off, isn't the person I thought it was, what thought he was, this isn't like this great person I should be, should be following. So I think like, that's part of like the design of the character. I also think Kyle just played it, played it really brilliantly. And he was just, he's just such a great, you could cut to him. I mean, his reaction is priceless. He just is one of those guys who has these great eyes, a great face and is like, always like in the moment, you know? And like, especially because, because like, Jared's performance of Adam, but also Adam was that way. It's just a very big person. So it's like you kind of need, he kind of needs to be in a way a straight man to the Adam perform to, to the Adam character because like that in real life and in our show, it's just that character's so big, you know, such a huge force of nature that it's like he you need kind of that balance, you know. <laughs> and, and it was interesting to watch that he did not get caught up in the performances. Like he stayed like it. Could, he could have easily started playing off of mm-hmm. Adam and playing off of Rebecca. Like, but he always remembered who he was supposed to be playing and he kept there because we could have, it was enough for us to be going through, you know, these two, two of them, huge performances, you know, just in general, forgetting that they were playing big characters, they're big performers. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly trying to balance through that. And if we had had a third component thrown in there that mm-hmm. was trying to push in, it would have thrown the whole balance off. So, you know, thank God Kyle just said, I'm playing this part and I'm just going to stay over here and continue to just play him and not try to push my way in. We might need to package this up for Kyle to submit as well. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely should. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he really was. Really, really nice person in real life. Well, thank you both for, for making the time, for being so generous and sharing the experience with us. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for having you. us on. Thank you both. Have a great rest of your week. You too. You too. Take care. Enjoy the finale. That I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs>